Heavenly Father, we want to praise you this morning for the supremacy and sufficiency of your Son, Jesus Christ. As we turn now to your word, help me to preach it faithfully. Remind us that in Christ we have it all, so that we will never be taken captive by false alternatives that would take us away from the Lord Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, God wants you to be a supercharged Christian. Come to our church and you'll deepen your bond with God. You'll have experience of God like never before. You'll experience miracles in your life. You'll have victory over sin. You'll see people converting to Christ. You'll have more than just Bible studies, more than just theology. You'll be truly spiritual. God wants you to be a better Christian. It's good that you believe in Christ, but God wants more than simply believing. He wants doing. Are you having a Sabbath? Uh, are you abstaining from alcohol? Do you have a quiet time every day? Are you denying yourself the pleasures of this world? Are you serving in a ministry? God wants more than just faith in Jesus. He wants doing. He wants you to be a good Christian who really pleases God. Well, I wonder if you've heard teaching or preaching like that before, offering more, more experience, more obedience, more of God's favour and blessings, if you just do the right things, and condemnation and judgment if you don't. The question of our passage today is what will enable us to keep growing as Christians, as God intends? Uh, Christian growth is something that we should all desire. We've been saved by Christ. If we're heading to heaven, we should be desiring to grow in maturity in Christ, to put to death the deeds of our sinful nature, our lust, our greed, our pride, and so on. We should be longing to be growing in deeper intimacy with God. But what we'll see this morning is that we need to beware of any form of Christian teaching that promises more growth, more holiness, more intimacy with God, and so on, apart from Christ and the gospel. The kind of teaching that says you need more than the death and resurrection of Jesus. It says if you have the right, do the right things or have the right experiences, you'll have more growth, more victory, more fullness, more blessing. Well, in chapters 1 and 2 of Colossians, we've seen that Paul has been showing us how to grow rightly as Christians. And he reminded us the key to Christian growth in those central verses of the letter, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, should be on the screen. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So we see here that the, the key to Christian growth is Christ and his gospel. Not only do we receive Christ as Lord, but, but we grow in Christ as we hold fast to the gospel of Christ, as we walk with Christ as our Lord in faith and thanksgiving. And that's, of course, why Paul began the letter as he did in chapter 1, verses 3 to 8. He began thanking God for the Colossian Christians because their genuine conversion was clear. They'd, they'd received the gospel from Epaphras and it had borne fruit in their lives. It was seen in their faith, their hope, and their love. And so Paul prayed in chapter 1, verse 9 to 14. They'd never cease growing in Christ, they'd, but they'd walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. 
in chapter 1, verse 15 to 23, he reminded them of the foundation of that crop, Jesus Christ, the supreme Lord of creation and redemption. And in chapter 1, verses 24 to 2, verse 5, he reminded them of the goal of his ministry, to proclaim Christ, that he might present everyone mature in him. And we saw how Paul toiled to that end in the face of suffering and persecution. Paul is supremely concerned with the salvation and role of Christians. But he knows that false teachers have crept into Colossae, trying to delude them, telling them that Christ wasn't enough, that they needed something more to be truly spiritual, to be truly blessed and mature in the Christian life. He knew they were being offered an alternative form of Christianity that would supposedly bring them to a higher, fuller, deeper knowledge and experience of God. And we saw that in the passage last week, chapter 2, verse 8. He said, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And we see here that they were, the Colossians, like Christians in every age, they were in danger of being kidnapped, taken captive by these false teachers, being snatched away from the Lord Jesus by being told that they needed more than Christ and more than the gospel if they were to grow as Christians. And so Paul's aim in this letter is to convince them and convince us that we don't need more human religion or more spiritual experiences to live out a complete Christian life. All we need is Christ. All we need is the gospel. Christ is all, is fully divine, the supreme Lord of all things, the fount of wisdom and knowledge. He's reconciled all things to himself. Christ is all. We have fullness in him, and we don't need anything more than Christ and his gospel. But we see in the passage today that there seems to be two areas where the Corinthians were being tempted away from Christ. And the, the first was legalistic religious practices, legalistic religious practices. Uh, they were uh, saying, look, follow these, uh, these uh, religious practices from the Old Testament law and you'll become a more godly, mature Christian. Have a look at verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So the Old Testament, of course, had all these various food laws which uh, prohibited God's people from eating certain unclean foods. It also had various festivals that needed to be observed, like, uh, like Passover, for example, and, and special days that needed to be kept, for example, the Sabbath. And it seems that the false teachers in Colossae were saying, look, if you don't follow all those Old Testament laws, then you're a deficient Christian. You're lacking something in the Christian life. You're not a mature Christian if you don't follow the Old Testament law. Now, it's an approach to Christianity that has unfortunately not gone away, even to today. This, uh, what we might call legalism, insisting that you must follow the various rules and rituals of the Old Testament, or, or various man-made ones as well. They say, look, you need to follow these eating rules, you know, no red meat during Lent or no unclean foods, or drinking rules, no alcohol, or no caffeine, as the Mormons say. 
or religious festivals, you must fast, or you know, you must have a Sabbath, as the Seventh Adventists would say. Or they introduced all kinds of roles, priests, festivals, rituals, rules that are meant to mimic the Old Testament so that church looks more like the Old Testament temple worship than anything that is particularly Christian. Now, it's not a, of course, the Old Testament is still God's word to us. And the law read in the light of Christ does show us how to love God and, and love one another. It's not that the Old Testament is bad. But Paul says, beware of legalistic religious practices, because the law has already been fulfilled by Jesus. Look at verse 17. He says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so it makes no sense to go back to Old Testament religion because all those things, the food laws, the festivals, the Sabbaths, and so on, they were all pointing forward to Jesus. Those things in the Old Testament are the shadow. Jesus is the substance. Christ has perfectly fulfilled the Old Testament law, and now he's done away with it through his death on the cross. And what we saw in verse 14 last week, it says, by cancelling the record of death that stood against us, with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In other words, we're no longer under the Old Testament law as Christians. We don't need to observe Old Testament food laws or festivals or other rules to be saved and to be mature Christians. We don't need to participate in certain things or abstain from certain things that the law stipulated in order to achieve some kind of advanced Christian growth. Because we're no longer under the law. We're no longer bound by these various religious and ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. And the reason is because all those things have been perfectly fulfilled in Christ for us. We have all we need for salvation and Christian growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the second area we see the Colossians were being tempted away from Christ was in the area of ascetic spiritual experience. Ascetic spiritual experience. Look at verse 18. It says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Now, asceticism or false humility, as the NIV puts it, is basically the practice of self-denial. Uh, the kind of thing that we see down in verse 21. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Uh, verse 23 talks about asceticism and severity to the body. Uh, since what's on view here is that this false teacher is saying self-denial makes you inherently more godly. Uh, that we are to shun physical realities and that will make you more spiritual as a Christian. And so not only do we see here that they insist on asceticism or self-denial, but they also are obsessed with, verse 18, the worship of angels going on in detail about visions. Now, worship of angels here is probably not talking about worshipping angels directly, but maybe the worship of God which the angels perform. In other words, they thought that self-denial denying themselves food and drink and various things would lead to, to these spiritual experiences, this vision of God's heavenly worship that would bring them into greater intimacy with God. 
And so we're told they're obsessed with visions. They're fascinated by what they consider to be spiritual in contrast to physical realities. Now, in 1 Timothy 4, Paul calls such a denial of the physical actually demonic teaching. We'll look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Because now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. What are these teachings of demons? Through the insanity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage, who require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. But everything's created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, for it's made holy by the word of God. And prayer. You see, to say that, oh, you, you, you can't eat these certain foods, or you shouldn't get married, or you should deny yourself these things, that's not a sign of being spiritual. That's a demonic teaching. We're not to set the physical against the spiritual as if physical things are ungodly. God made the world. God is glorified as we enjoy the world and give thanks to him for what he's given us. Now, of course, we may choose to give up things in this world as we choose to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But we never do that by denying the essential goodness of the world that God has made. And so Paul warns that these things, self-made legalistic religion, and ascetic spiritual experience, rather than making you more spiritual or closer to God, they are in fact enslaving and they will disqualify you from heaven. In remember in chapter 1, verse 12, he, as Paul prayed, he, he, they're giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. But now Paul warns in verse 18 of our passage, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. Embracing these things won't make you more mature or more spiritual. They'll actually take you away from Christ. They'll disqualify you from heaven. And so as much as these false teachers insisted that they were right and passed judgment on anyone who disagreed with them, they were in fact wrong, badly wrong. The Colossians were the genuine real package. Their faith in Christ had overflowed in faith and love and hope. But these false teachers had departed from Christ. Their self-denying religion, their ascetic spiritual experiences were what Paul called in verse 9, philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. In other words, all these teachings, they didn't originate from Jesus Christ. They came from their own minds. It was according to human traditions. It was worldly. Verse 18 says they were puffed up without reason by their sensuous mind. They'd invented all of this stuff. Verse 23 calls it self-made religion. However spiritual they claim these teachings were, they weren't from Jesus. They were an invention of their own intellect. It was a human philosophy. It was empty deceit. But it lacked reason. It lacked sense. It just came from their pride. And what is worse, by insisting on all these things, they were, verse 19 says, not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, 
grows with the growth that is from God. Now, in most circumstances, not having your head is uh, not going to be a good thing, is it? <laughs> you can't live very long without your head, let alone growing. But by embracing these things, we're told that they had cut themselves off from their head from Jesus Christ, the very source of salvation and growth. Jesus Christ, the one who nourishes his church and provides for his church through the gospel. And so we also this morning need to be aware, beware of these, uh, these uh, heresies which have their own modern equivalents. There are, of course, those today who will teach you to seek uh, mystical or visionary experiences of God apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. There are Christian leaders today who will uh, promise a deeper, fuller spirituality based on visions and dreams and uh, special worship and other mystical techniques. And whether that be the kind of practices you find in monasteries or the practices you find in Pentecostal churches or elsewhere. They'll say things like, well, did you hear God speaking audibly? Did God give you dreams and visions? Do you speak in tongues, you know, the tongues of angels? I think words like this, they're, they're, they're open to the same criticism that Paul has of these Colossian false teachers. They've lost their connection with Jesus, the head of the church, denying the one true gospel in offering false alternatives. We must be convinced this morning that we can't have more than Jesus. Jesus Christ is all. We've been given fullness in him. Our sin has been nailed to the cross. We've been raised with Christ in, through his resurrection. We've been seated with him in heaven. We have all that we need for salvation and Christian growth. We don't need visions and dreams and words from God outside of the Bible. We don't need to follow Old Testament legalistic practices. All we need to know is in the scriptures which point us to Christ and the gospel. And so we must resist all these alternatives. We must refuse these kidnapped attempts that would take us away from Christ and his gospel. And so Paul closes in verse 20 to 23 by exposing how enslaving and useless all these things actually are. And that's the final point this morning. Despite appearances, these things will not grow you but enslave you. Despite appearances, these things will not grow you, but enslave you. Look at verse 20. It says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. Now, uh, I presume earlier in this, uh, this letter, we've seen that these elemental spirits refer to the spiritual rulers and authorities, the, these uh, demonic uh, evil spirits of the domain of darkness that, that held us captive through the law, that condemned us before God. Uh, as they, they held out before God, the long list of sins that we've committed in our failure to keep God's law. But we've seen in this letter, when Christ died and rose, he delivered us from the domain of darkness. Chapter 1, verse 13. 
He disarmed the rulers and authorities, triumphing over them in the cross, chapter 2, verse 15. Through the cross, he secured our redemption, chapter 1, verse 14. He won the forgiveness of our sins, same verse. He cancelled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, chapter 2, verse 14. He made us alive in Christ. He raised us to new life in Christ, chapter 2, verse 13. And so as Paul reflects on all these things Jesus has done for us, he asks, why? If you've been freed from all these things by the gospel, then why would you go back? Why would you be enslaved again by these things? But to go back to legalistic self-made religion or to embrace ascetic spiritual experiences instead of Jesus, it only returns you to the slavery from which you've already been redeemed. It makes no sense at all to leave the supreme Lord of creation and redemption and replace him with human teachings as if Christ was deficient in some way. It's, it's irrational, it's dangerous, it's folly. And yet, of course, there is a danger that we too will fall for these teachings. If there was no danger, why would Paul need to write this letter? And the reason these priceless human demonic teachings are so attractive to us is because we're told they have the appearance of wisdom. On the surface, they seem spiritual until you start to dig below the surface. Now, this last week, I had the very painful experience of visiting the dentist. Uh, you know, I've been trying to diligently brush my teeth and floss as you're meant to, I encourage you to do that. <laughs> but to my horror, the dentist found a number of cavities, uh, which apparently had been undiagnosed for some time. Because on the surface, the teeth all looked healthy. And my previous dentist down, down in KL never took x-rays, never looked below the surface. But when my dentist here took a closer look, you could see very clearly that the decay was there, hiding below the surface. And so Paul says these false teachings, insisting on legalistic practices or spiritual experience, on the surface they seem spiritual. But when you, you dig deeper, you, you do an x-ray on them, you see that the core is actually rotten, decaying, destructive. Look what he says in verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. However spiritual or impressive these things look like on the outside, Paul says they are useless, they are powerless, to save or to change our hearts. I think we see that in other religions, whether it be the, the self-denial uh, promoted in Buddhism, or the Hindu worship of, of many gods, or the legalistic religion of Islam, with many rules about what you can and cannot do. Malaysia is a very religious country, actually, isn't it? But it doesn't mean that the citizens like to obey the word rules or observe over their SOPs or pay their taxes or reject corruption or defend the rights of the vulnerable and so on and so forth. Because although 
Though human religion may produce a certain degree of conformity out of fear of consequences, it never really changes our hearts. And it's the same with the kind of legalistic religion we find in churches too, whether it's the kind of performance-based religion of Roman Catholicism, the spiritual experience of, of charismatic churches. Legalism and spiritual experiences don't change the heart. They don't grow us as God intends. They have an appearance of wisdom and spirituality, but they're ineffective in restraining sin because we need more than self-discipline. We need more than spiritual experience. We need our hearts changed. And only Christ in his gospel can do that. Well, let's uh, conclude. Today we've heard Paul's warning to beware of any form of, of Christian teaching that offers a supercharged Christianity that says, look, if you just do the right things or have the right experiences, then you will be more blessed, more mature, more close to God. Beware of legalistic religious practices. Beware of ascetic spiritual experiences. Because although they may seem spiritual on the surface, all they will do is kidnap you, take you away from the Lord Jesus, who alone can grow you as God intends. Christ is all. We've been given fullness in him. So I think this morning we need to take time then to reflect again on this supremacy and sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who we've been told in this letter made and sustains all things, who's reconciled all things to himself through the cross, who reigns supreme in all things, in whom the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and so forth. See, the, the, the way to protect ourselves from false teachings who would offer us more is to remember again and again and again how great and wonderful Jesus is, how sufficient Jesus is. Jesus is enough. His gospel is sufficient. If we have him, we have it all. And the way that we would, we would do that, remembering how sufficient and supreme Jesus is, is by coming again and again to the scriptures, understanding more and more of how he fulfills the Old Testament, understanding more and more of how he saved us and united us to Jesus, understanding more and more of how Christ is transforming us through his gospel. See, as we soak ourselves in the word of God, in the gospel, uh, that, that is how I guess we will vaccinate ourselves against false teachings like those in Colossae. If you like it, as we you know, brush and uh, floss every day with the gospel, that will avoid the decay of false teaching eating away at our souls. We never move on from Christ. We never move on from the gospel. There is nothing that is higher, deeper, wiser, or more life-transforming than Christ and his gospel. So reject all alternatives. Hold fast to him. Chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let me leave this in prayer.
Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that Christ and his gospel is all that we need for salvation and Christian growth. And so help us to continue to walk with Christ just as we received him and not to be snatched away by false alternatives teaching us that we need something more. Protect us from adding to the gospel with either religious performance or spiritual experiences. Help us to hold fast to Christ and grow more and more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.